How many of you have been a part of a church at some point in your history that actually kept a literal physical prayer list? Will you raise your hand if you have been a part of my churches growing up? That was very common. Larger churches, and there was usually at the prayer meeting, there was a long list of people on that prayer list. And almost without exception, the people on that list were struggling with sickness, or maybe they had a relative or loved one who was sick or who had passed away, or they needed a job. That was, that was my concept of a prayer list. Now, let me hurry to say that there's nothing at all wrong with praying for people when they're sick, bereaved, or need a job. Please keep doing that. However, when we look at the New Testament, and in particular, the Apostle Paul who wrote much of the New Testament, if we read his letters and we learn how he prayed, we find out that he had a prayer list that looked really differently than that. Paul's prayers focused on not the material, not the physical, but they focused on the spiritual. They focused on spiritual development in other people's lives. I don't know about you, but for me, the number one area that I want to grow in myself, in my prayer life, is praying more regularly and fervently for spiritual development for people. That's an area I really, really want to grow in. In other words, I want my prayer list to look more like Paul's prayer list. And I hope you want yours as well. And that is the beautiful thing about this particular 40 days of prayer that we introduce today. We're going through the book of Colossians and we're going to learn how to pray about those kinds of things as we walk through this letter. In fact, each week as we study a passage all week long, we consider not maybe necessarily the kind of prayer list that we've been exposed to, but we study the passage and we find one major thing that we can pray for for each other. And today it's this, pray that believers will live worthy and God-pleasing lives. Again, it's great and good to pray about all those other things, but let's start praying about this kind of stuff. Let's pray for each other that we'll live lives that please God, that are worthy of Him. That's the focus for this week in Colossians chapter 1. Now, Colossians, let me set the context for the verses that I'm about to read and walk through this morning. Paul, the writer, opens the letter to the believers at this city, Colossae, by greeting them and letting them know exactly how he and Timothy pray for them. Colossae was a small town about 100 miles inland 
of Ephesus. It was near uh, a travel route. It was near uh, a trade route. And so a lot of people from east and west gathered there and met there, and it brought all kind of philosophies and ideas and heresies to that area. Paul had never been to that church. He did not start that church, but he wrote a letter to them from prison, and it starts this way in Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. It's a pretty typical Pauline greeting. It identifies who he is, his authority. He's an apostle. He's called by God. It's God's will. God is the one who has set him out on this path. He names Timothy as his co-laborer. And he tells who he's writing to. He's writing to these Christians in the church at Colossae and gives them this greeting, grace and peace. Now, as we walk through this passage and Paul tells us how he prays for them, let's learn how we can pray like Paul. Let me give you four steps this morning, four ways that you and I can pray like Paul. Number one, thank God for positive fruit in others. Thank God for positive fruit in others. This is found in verses three through eight. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. Now, Paul was informing these Christians at Colossae why he thanked God for them. We often, when we think of giving thanks, often we think of the benefits that God has given us, right? And that's good, and that's normal, and that, that is godly. We think of the blessings that God has put in our lives, and so we thank him. For Paul, what elicited thanks in him was looking around at these other people, hearing about the fruit in their lives, and he thanked God for them. In other words, his prayers were very other-focused. He was very focused on spiritual development in others. And so when he heard about these Colossians, he thanked God for it. And verses 5 and 6 elaborate on their faith. It is the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. Now, how did they hear it? What did God use? Whom did God use to introduce the gospel to them? He reminds them in verse 7. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, 
and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. We don't know a whole lot about Epaphras. There are three times he's mentioned in the New Testament here in chapter 4 and in Philemon. But it seems to be, this is a plausible scenario here. We don't know 100% how it all worked. But it seems like while Paul was in Ephesus, many people were saved. We know that. And maybe Epaphras became a believer at that point. He might have been from Colossae. We're not sure, but he went back to Colossae. He certainly was a fellow brother, a fellow servant. Paul calls him a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. So maybe Paul helped send Epaphras back to Colossae to tell them about the gospel, to tell them about Jesus, and they were saved. Nobody was saved at that point. This was early, right? And they became Christians. But again, there were many heresies, many false views about knowledge and Christ being not really God, but somewhere between human and God. There were all these kind of weird thoughts. And so it seems like over time, Paul is imprisoned and maybe Epaphras goes back and tells Paul about this. And maybe he's seeking advice. What, how can we handle this? What can we do about all of these false views? And Paul, having never met the Colossians, writes a letter. And this is what we have in our New Testament as the book of Colossians. Although God is the one that ultimately produces all fruit, he uses humans and he uses human efforts. And here is what seems to be some spiritual partnership between Paul and Epaphras and and maybe spiritual multiplication as Paul trained or discipled Epaphras. So that's the first thing we do. We pray, we thank God for positive fruits and others. It's really easy to look at the negative, isn't it? (laughs) To look at the things that are wrong to look at the things that people aren't doing. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's people you're trying to disciple. Maybe it's people in your group somehow. And you you think about all the areas they need to grow and the things that are, are wrong. But let's focus on the positive. Let's thank God for the positive fruit that we see. Secondly, pray regularly for others. Pray regularly for others. We get to verse nine, the verse that Uh, is our memory verse for this week that we've already talked about today. For this reason, (laughs) let's see, since the day, the motions were new to me. Since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. (laughs) Paul prayed regularly. He didn't stop praying for these people, even though he didn't know them personally. Back in verse 3, we'd already read that Paul said, we always thank God when we pray for you. It's very typical for them to pray three times a day, morning, noon, and evening. And Paul is saying that whenever he remembers them, he constantly prays for them. He keeps praying for them. He does not stop praying for them. And I, I do think a prayer list The right kind of prayer list is very helpful here, whether it's a physical list you create, maybe an electronic list. There are all kind of apps. There are all kind of helps that help us. I use something called the 2959 plan, which I highly recommend. It helps me sort through biblical prayers, and it also helps me 
pray for different people on different days and different groups of people on different days. But however you use it, certainly during these 40 days of prayer, the prayer guide does that for you. It helps you learn how to pray for a lot of different people. Pray regularly for others. Number three, and I love this about Paul, and I'm trying to learn this myself. Tell people what you're praying for them. It's one thing to pray for people, and that's good. It's even better to tell them that you're praying for them. And it's even better than that to tell them what you're praying for them. That's what Paul is doing here. That's what's happening. That's what the heart of this passage from verses, the middle of verse 9 up to verse 12 is all about. Look what he says. We continually ask God... And as I said earlier in the prayer service, this is a mouthful. We ask God for what? To fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Tell people what you're praying for them. That's what Paul is doing. Now, what was he praying for them? That's point number four. This leads right into that. Pray for the spiritual development of others. Pray for the spiritual development for others. When Paul wrote this letter, as I mentioned, he was imprisoned. And he probably figured that he may never make it to Colossae. He may never get to visit this church. And hearing presumably from Epaphras, about the heresies that they were struggling with and the issues that they were struggling with, he's like, I really need to pray for them. I want to pray for them. And I'm going to pray these specific things for them. The, The heretics in that day had some weird views about knowledge and weird views about Christ. Well, Paul tells them exactly what he's praying, and it all relates to spiritual development. We continually ask God these things. That's what, that's what he prayed for. He prayed for them to know God's will. If you had to summarize this whole passage, I'm going to try to take this very lengthy compilation of things Paul prays for and summarize it to help you understand what he prayed for and why he prayed that. What he prayed for is that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Fill you with the knowledge of his will. Not on their own, but through the understanding and wisdom that the Holy Spirit gives. Now, what is the knowledge of his will? Did God want or did Paul want these people in Colossae just to gain a lot of extra Biblical knowledge alone? That's not what he means by the knowledge of his will. 
not if it's knowledge that has no bearing on their lives. There were a couple different original words that were used for knowledge. One of them, some of these false teachers used, emphasized just intellectual knowledge. But there was another word, and it's the word that's used here in the original, and it's knowledge that's gained by experience. You can only know something. It's a mature, accurate, precise knowledge. The first one is cognitive. The second one is experiential. And, you know, even though we don't have different English words, we do speak of knowing things in two different ways two different nuances. We talk about knowing something in theory versus knowing by experience. So think back, those of you who've already graduated from college. If you've been to college and you've graduated from college or you've taken any college classes, is there anybody who will admit with me there was at least one or two classes that you took that were just like, you're like, why am I getting credit for this, college credit? You know, like it's so easy, anybody? Am I the only one? Okay, so in college, for one of my PE requirements, I took a class in golf. I, I really did, I got credit for this. Paid a lot of money in my tuition And here was the interesting thing about this. There were people in the class who had never played golf one single time. They they had they might have played miniature golf, they might have played putt-putt, but they had never played golf. But they passed the class. I'm pretty sure everybody passed that class. I don't know if anybody failed. But they passed the class and they could have said, I know how to play golf, right? because I took the class. Well, at that particular time, okay, I'm, I don't know, 18, 19, 20, maybe 20. I had been playing golf since fifth or sixth grade, played in middle school on teams, a high school team. I played on the college team. I was traveling, and yet I was taking this class for credit, and I think I could say at a different level than them, I know how to play golf, right? There was more experience there. But there was somebody in the class that was even more experienced who could really say, I know, and that was the teacher. Our teacher's name was Dave Reagan. He was a former PGA professional. He had been on the PGA tour. He was living in our city. He actually coached our golf team, and he he taught this class. He, he, he won like seven professional tournaments. He played on the Ryder Cup the, one of the same years with Arnold Palmer. That man could say, I know golf, <laughs> right? Paul is not talking about when he says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will. It's not like he wants you to take a class, God's Will 101. No, he wants you to be on the tour, <laughs> He wants you to know by experience everything that God has for you. Paul doesn't want half-hearted Christians. 
And so he prays. That's what he prays. I'm praying constantly. We continually ask God for this, for the knowledge of his will. Well, Paul, why do you pray that? Why is it important for people to know God's will? The next verse tells us it's so that you can live worthy in God-pleasing lives. Verse 10, so that, I'm praying this, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. That's what we're praying for this week. I hope in that prayer guide, if you have that prayer guide, and again, if you didn't get one, there are plenty available out there today. If you'll notice at the very beginning of the week, the divider page, it it gives you the passage that we're going to be studying, and the bottom of it gives the one main sentence of the one main thing that we're praying for, and that's what it is this week, praying for people to live worthy and God-pleasing lives. Worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. What does it mean to live a life worthy of the Lord? Because we might just say, well, who who is worthy of the Lord? None of us in our own, right? What does it mean to live a worthy life? This is important for us as we're walking through this because it helps us understand and be motivated how we can live, but it also helps us understand the best way to pray for others. Well, this phrase refers to a lifestyle that pleases God. It was used not just in the New Testament. Uh, There are places outside of Scripture at the time in the province of Asia. uh, There were some pagans who used that phrase as part of their worship to their deities, that we want to be worthy of our gods. Now, how much more Should true believers who understood the one true and living God, who he was, live a life that pleases God? And what kind of life pleases God to the fullest extent? We don't have to speculate it. We don't have to rack our brains and go, oh, what are all the ways we can think of? Now, we could do that, and that might be a useful exercise, but Paul does it for us here. It's like he puts a colon, not literally, but we could put a colon What am I praying for? That you would know God's will. Why do I pray that? So you can live a life that's worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Now, by the way, let me tell you what a worthy life is. So there are four things that the passage continues with, four phrases that describe what a worthy life is. These are characteristics of a life that pleases God. The first one is it bears fruit in every good work. It it says in this phrase, bearing fruit in every good work. This is similar to the language Paul's already used earlier in the passage, right? Remember up in verse 5, he said that the gospel all over the world is bearing fruit and it's growing. In other words, he was referring to as the message about Jesus got spread to all these different places and people who weren't Christians became Christians and that was fruit. That was legitimate fruit that was happening all over the world. But now that they are Christians, there's also another kind of fruit. And that's the fruit of a character, a lifestyle that pleases God in everything you do. And that is the first thing that Paul prays for 
as far as this is part of a worthy life. He prays that God, the gospel will bear fruit in the lives. God gives you the gift of salvation free. But you and I take that gift and turn it around and bear fruit. A person whose life pleases God will be regularly bearing fruit, doing good, helping others, serving others. Secondly, it grows in knowing God, growing in the knowledge of God. Now, this is experiencing God's dealing. Again, this is not just having an intellectual apprehension of who God is. This is really experiencing God. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness justice and righteousness on earth for in these I delight declares the Lord. Now knowing God is complex. (laughs) It's a lot more complex to know a person than it is to know a subject. So you might say well I know Spanish or I know science but if you say I know my best friend it's a lot different knowing a person There's more to it. It means you understand them. You understand their character. You understand how they they might react in, in any given circumstance. And they also have to invite you in. They have to let you know them. You know that? You cannot know anybody if they don't let you know them, right? You can want to know somebody, but if they don't want you to know them, you, you aren't going to know them. I could, I could name somebody famous. I could pick a, an actor, an actress, uh, a musician, a politician, or whatever, and say, do you know so-and-so? And you might go, well, yeah. But really what you mean, and I would mean, is I know about them. <laughs> I don't really know them because they aren't having coffee with me. They aren't inviting me to come along with them in their life, right? I don't really know them. Well, J.I. Packer, one of my favorite writers and maybe my favorite all-time book outside the Bible is a book called Knowing God. He gives an example in that book of how unusual it would be for just an average person to be taken into the confidence of, say, the Queen of England or the President of the United States. Listen to what he says. This is about knowing God, and he uses that analogy. What happens is that the almighty creator, the Lord of hosts, the great God before whom the nations are a drop in the bucket, comes to you and begins to talk to you through the words and truths of Holy Scripture. Perhaps you've been acquainted with the Bible and Christian truth for many years, and it has meant little to you, but one day you wake up to the fact that God is actually speaking to you, you, through the biblical message. 
as you listen to what God is saying, you find yourself brought very low. For God talks to you about your sin and guilt and weakness and blindness and folly and compels you to judge yourself hopeless and helpless and to cry out for forgiveness. But this is not all. You come to realize as you listen that God is actually opening his heart to you, making friends with you, and enlisting you as a colleague, a covenant partner. That's knowing God. You know, you can do it every day, very simply, when you open your Bible. It's like you're not just reading something written a long time ago. This is God speaking to you. Isn't that cool? <laughs> knowing God. Packer summarizes four things that are involved with knowing God. Number one, it's listening to his word and receiving it as the Holy Spirit interprets it. Number two, it's noting God's nature and character as his word and works reveal it. Number three, it's accepting God's invitations and doing what he commands. And number four, it's recognizing and rejoicing in the love he has shown in approaching you and drawing you into this incredible fellowship. So a life that pleases God bears fruit in every good work. It grows in knowing God. Number three, it gains strength from God for endurance and patience. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Notice that it doesn't say getting stronger yourself or becoming stronger. It's in the passive. It's being strengthened. Someone else has to strengthen us. Who does? Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. This is a pretty lofty prayer that Paul's praying, right? He wants them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He wants them to live lives that are worthy of the Lord and please God in every way. He wants them to bear fruit and all kind of good works and to come to know God. And you go, who can do that? <laughs> Nobody on their own. The good news is the onus is not on us accomplish it. It's God's power in us. If you're a Christian, God, through the person of the Holy Spirit, lives in you, and you just yield to him, and you allow him, you surrender to him, and he builds you up with that strength. And this phrase, according to his glorious might, only reinforces that truth. Now, most of us like, I think, the concept of power. We want to know the power of God to overcome temptation. We want to have the power of Christ to be fruitful. Maybe you teach a Bible study and you want it to be fruitful. Maybe you have people at work or in your neighborhood that you're trying to reach for Christ and you know you need God's power for those things, and we all do. But look at this passage here. This passage shows us that God's power not only does those things, something else that we can't do. Being strengthened for what? Why? Look at the end of it. So that you might have great endurance and patience. And here's the truth. 
We need God's power just as much to endure trials and difficulty as we do to present the gospel to the lost. Our missionaries need God's power to go out and and preach the gospel to the nations and plant churches. We need any, any ministry, we need God's power for it, but we also need God's power just as much when we're going through tough times to be able to endure and to be patient in it. And, and again, as for how does this relate to prayer? Do you know anybody that's going through a tough time? Pray that God will give them power and strength and the ability to endure until they get through it. Because if they're a Christian, they're going to be healed. The trial is going to be over either now, later in this life, or in heaven. But what we don't know is how long that will take, and we need to pray for that strength and that endurance. Finally, life that pleases God gives thanks to the Father for all that he has done. Verse 12, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. A.W. Tozer said, gratitude is an offering precious in the sight of God And it is one that the poorest of us can make and not be poorer, but richer for having made it. So there's a scale. On one end of the scale, we can complain about things. As we move across the scale, then we can accept things with resignation. And then we keep going on the scale and we accept things with joy. That's what he's talking about. That's an evidence of a life that is pleasing to God, that the Spirit is strengthening somebody, that they joyfully give God thanks. And you say, well, what if my circumstances are less than desirable? What if my circumstances stink? Well, he doesn't in this moment say give thanks for those circumstances. Why do we give him joyful thanks? Why in the midst of tough circumstances can we give him thanks? He tells us he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. And verse 13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. That's the greatest thing to thank God for. That's the good news. That's the gospel of Jesus. We were separated from God by nature. We were wrong. We were living in darkness. We were living in the wrong kingdom. We had the wrong color jerseys on in the game. And God went, whoop, and flipped it. He saved us by dying on the cross, Jesus dying on the cross, being buried, rising again, and now those who he brings, whom he brings into his family are saved. We are transferred from that dominion of darkness to the kingdom of light. And we have redemption. That's when he buys us back. And we have forgiveness of sins. And everybody said, amen. <laughs> so how do we pray like Paul? Thank God for positive fruit in others. Pray regularly for others. 
Tell people what you're praying for and pray for the spiritual development of others. And that's what we're talking about, this spiritual development. Filled with the knowledge of God's will. So why? So people can live lives worthy. Well, what's the worthy life? It's bearing fruit. It's growing in knowing God. It's joyfully giving thanks. It's being strengthened to endure. It's all of those kinds of things. So what does your prayer list look like today? (laughs) Does it look like Paul's? I know I want my prayer list to look more and more and more like this. And this is how I want to pray for people more and more and more. So pray that believers will live worthy and God-pleasing lives. Now, we might add just a couple of words that now that we've walked through the passage all week long and together, and I would, I would say pray regularly <laughs> that believers will live worthy and God-pleasing lives. And if I really wanted to be complete, I would go and tell them. <laughs> Pray regularly that believers will live worthy and God-pleasing lives and tell them. It's funny, uh, Pastor Corey, I think, I think his community group meets on Friday night, and, and he knows our, the community group I'm a part of meets on Friday night, and he, he kind of gave me a little bit of hard time because it, it leads up to the sermon where the community group is on Friday. And I, I jokingly will say to the, the people in the group sometimes, well, I didn't have a chance to study this week, so you guys better say some really good things. And that is a joke. <laughs> but, but it's cool to see. So he, he's like, I, he said, I'm going to ask him on Sunday how many points he got out of the sermon from, from Friday night. But Friday night, we just simply kind of reviewed the week and what people had studied, and we talked about different things. And, and this week, uh, you know, in this guide, it's written by a whole bunch of different people. Steve Thompson wrote week one, the Bible study for it, and did a great job. It was very helpful. And Steve had an exercise on, on Friday, I believe it was, where all these things that Paul prayed for, he just challenged you to, like, think what's one area that you need to grow in the most. And so our leader in the group that night just said, hey, how about everybody take a minute and think about that and then just share it with everybody. What's the one area you want to grow in the most? And people did it. And then everybody prayed over each other. Uh, eventually, everybody was prayed over for those things. It was really cool. It was simple. But I'm like, this is Right. This is good. I mean, yeah, we, we pray for each other's health and we pray for each other's jobs and we pray for all kinds of things, but it was great to see in action all these young couples. And yes, my wife and I are in the group, but it's everybody else is a young couple. And I mean, I, really young. I'm not just saying that, you know, but they're like, you know, in their 30s or whatever. It was great to see people praying for each other biblically. Hey, Harvest, you can do that. You can do it this week. You can do it on your own. You can do it in your family. You can do it in a group. Let's bow our heads, please.